morning, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we are going to split a novel. And um, the question comes up, came up from from Margaret, who asked, okay, this is, this is her whole question, which was honestly too big for my summary section for me to share it on social media. So I cut it down to the last part. But the whole question is, so recently I embarked on the task of separating a novel into two or three separate books. The novel is completely written, and I've, been, I've also, I'm also turning it from a vague YA fantasy into adult a romance because the story would work better that way. My brain clearly hates my sanity. I'm not sure this is sanity, sweetheart. Okay. I know you've done some similar things before, i.e. turning a novel into an episode series. How? How do you separate whole complete com- complete whole into smaller parts and how do you know where to cut it? Okay. Um, I've actually done this twice in front of you guys. Although you didn't see the novel portion. But Ties That Bind was originally one big giant. When I got to the point where I realized that I wasn't going to be able to let it go and and keep it as a private project. Um, I realized that it was just, um, my story was already so big. Um, It was already over 200 K and I was like, no, I am not putting out a 500,000 word novel. That is ridiculous. And so um, I split it up into novellas. And what I did with Ties to Bind is I went and through and I marked major events like their meeting and the consequences of that meeting. And I took that out of the original novel and I used that version of that section of the book as a first draft. Then I went in and I did a self-edit and I shaped it so that it had a beginning, a middle and an end. Now, the next big part in Ties That Bind is the collaring. Again, a very defined event. So I shaped, so I I, I took that section out of the novel and I shaped it into a short story. And it went from probably, I think that the whole collaring was actually only like 5K originally. And I could not, I honestly couldn't tell you how long it is now. It's, 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 it's been a long time since I actually looked at Ties That Bind. And I probably should have looked at it today since we were going to be doing this. But, you know, honestly, to be perfectly honest, we didn't pick our topic until, well, until shortly before I announced it. <laughs> but what I did was, is that I did um, separate it out, the collaring. It was, I, it, it was just one chapter originally. And so I had to, you know, look at it and then look at the events that came out of it um, and after it that were already needed to pull out and put back and, and put into the second story or if there were things that I needed to it for it not to be. So um, Intimately Bound is the first episode of um, Ties That Bind. It is 22K. That was originally the first two chapters of Ties That Bind. So it was around 1100 words to start. Learning to Belong was originally 5,000 words. It turned into a 33K novella. Of which I, the only part I pulled out of the original novel was the collaring chapter. So about 5K. So I'm not sure Ties at Bind is a really good example for this. Considering I'm so extra here. (laughs) You are extra. (laughs) But that's what I did. I isolated events in the novel and I kind of dissected my novel. 
Um, and then I, I, I shaped those events into novellas because it, they had to be complete. They had to have a, a, a and because Kaizen is a little different than say something like Sentinels of Atlantis or Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. Now Sentinels of Atlantis was always crafted as an episode series. So there is a very different structure in place in Sentinels of Atlantis. Whereas Ties That Bind went from one big giant potential novel to 15 novellas. Of which about, when I realized that I needed to separate it all out, I was around the point, I think the original novel, Rough Draft, ended around what you give, which was um, episode or novella six in the um, Ties That Bind series. But I also did it again with um, Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. And roughly two-thirds of that were the original novel. So I would say in Ties That Bind, I quadrupled my word count by splitting it into novellas. Now, for me, when I look at splitting a big work, which I did plot to split one of my big works, but I didn't actually do it. I didn't actually do the writing because I'm just not sure I want to invest that much time into it because it's something that's already published. Um, and I look for what are, as for terms of, a, for a guideline for me about where I would want it split is three what the high points are where are the points that you have a, a dramatic moment because those would be if assuming that was at least where i started with the planning was what would be those moments that i could build a climax build as a climax of that story because um just splitting something if you don't have that the, 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 that part of the structure, the building to a climax and falling action is really critical. And so if you don't have something that you're building to, you're going to have to do more writing, which is fine. You may go, okay, I'm going to focus on this event, but it's not a very big event. So I'm going to have to build in some kind of climax into this story. But there were in emergence to me, three really obvious places to, to structure the novel around the first was the mating the second was the big battle with the alpha in um england and the third one was when they found out about the origins of um wyverns and where they'd come from and that they really were um originally the original ascended beings so those were three obvious the three obvious choices now i would have had to do the most writing on the third one because the those two those second two were, were too close to each other structurally um in it as it's written so which actually wouldn't have been a bad thing because the part of the story that always needed the most beefing up was the end so if i had ever decided to split it that's where that's where the three climaxes would be now it would take a significant amount of writing relatively speaking uh to to do that work which is why i didn't do it i think it would be better to do it that way i think it would flow better i think it would be a um, a better a better series written in that fashion. They'd be three novels, though, as opposed to splitting up into novellas. But because of the way it's structured right now, which is where those events really bleed into each other, I would have to build in some more defined stopping points, build in more falling action after the event, make the high points a little bit higher in the first and third case, 
you would, you would, you know, looking at the structure of it, I would say that um, after rewriting, you would probably add between 30 and 50 K. Yeah. It would go from being about 210,000 words to being about 260, which is why I said it'd be three novels. Um, but but me, I also was, agree. It would, be, it, would, it would be better. Um, sir. Yeah, it's it's too long as a single as a single work, and um, I think most of the rewrite would go into the third book. Um, but there is a difference between separating into novel novella and separating into episode. And now, what I did with Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond is that I separated into episodes, and that was. An entirely different ball game, because if you notice in ties that bind, um, the the novellas are readable on their own, whereas in a series like Sentinels of Atlantis or Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond, I built. That's that's just pure story building right there. Um, and in all honesty, I modeled both of the series building after Babylon 5 not in content but in but in scope and in and and in practice because I told little stories within a big story and it I think it's more evident in Sentinels of Atlantis because it was structured that way from the very beginning because each little story had its own beginning middle and end and the season itself had a beginning, middle, and an end. And when it comes to the season, the search is the falling action for the entire first season. Everything is falling into place in the search, literally. But in itself, it has a beginning and a middle and an end and its own falling action. So that kind of structure was honestly a whole hell of a lot of work. And that's why I have replotted season two four or five times and not started writing it. Because there's lots of ripples. Yeah. And it's a massive undertaking. And you may have been busy. <laughs> yeah, I may have been a little busy. Um, but Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond was originally a novel. And I split it up. And I split it... Um, when I looked at the... Well, look at what I had, which was not complete. Um, it was not. Um, I think by the end, I probably added about a hundred k to um, that after editing. Like after my initial edit and split, I probably added a hundred k to the material. Um, and I have about twenty five k of unused material that no longer works. And that's another part of it: is when you break your novel down into manageable pieces. So that you can work with them individually. You're going to find that sometimes a subplot um, or um, additional characters that made sense in the work as it was when it was in one whole no longer work for you. So you have to be able to set it aside and take it out. Drop it into a file and put it away. And maybe, maybe those words will be useful in the future, but they serve no purpose now. And that's that can be a big stumbling block. Letting go of something you've written is um, it can be difficult. I was working on something where I had the, recently where I had this subplot that I don't know why I was attached to it, but I was stupidly attached to this subplot. But I, I think on some level I'd known 
for like since I put it in that it wasn't working. And it took me a ridiculous amount of time and rewrites to realize I just need to pull it out. I just need to full full on take the whole subplot out because it just didn't do anything for the story. It was distracting. It was extra words that were just completely superfluous and not in a good way. And it required a lot of explanation. It was just like, why am I doing this? And, but but because I have had had a an emotional attachment to it, um, I I didn't want to give it up, which was dumb. But you have to be prepared for that when you're when you're carving something up. So, um. I will say, though, I want to put a caveat in, in, in on this, is that some projects, some stories, uh, novels or whatever, lend themselves to, are, are more obviously able to be split. And I think you have to have a judicious eye about, is this really a good thing to split? Uh, because some of my stories, it, it wouldn't be the same thing if you split it. Because, and some stories, I just, I don't know why you would. So, for instance, I don't think you can split memories. That is one event arc, basically. And to split it would be to add more events in, which would basically be writing a new story. And so if you've got a, a novella, because a novella could, you know, depending upon the publisher's definition of a novella, a novella could run up to 50,000 words, like right up to that edge of a novel. Mm -hmm. Whereas some publishers say if a novel starts around 40,000 words. So it depends upon your publisher's definition of novella. But some novellas could be quite long, but you could still, even up to like 40 or 50,000 words, you could be running one event arc. And if you really only have one event you're dealing with and like the fallout from it, splitting it means you're going to have to bring more events in. Otherwise, you're writing cliffhangers. And your publisher might give you an unimpressed face. As a matter of fact, they might just send you a gif of somebody with an unimpressed face and be like, what are you doing? Or they'll send you a generic rejection letter. Yeah. And won't even tell you what's wrong about yourself. Because they don't see any reason to waste their time with you. If you're using a cliched um, plot device from the 1980s. They probably don't want you sending them your type manuscript on your um, 1940s typewriter, Tim McGee. Well, there are several kinds of rejection letters you can get. A rejection letter um, that's um, just generic with no information about you or your work. Yeah. They don't have anything good or bad. They don't have anything good to say and probably didn't read enough of it to have anything terrible to say. And also they don't want to end up um, you quoting them on your blog. Because you hurt their feepees. So you get a generic form letter. And then there's a then there's the one where you say where they say, okay, you know, actually I like this a lot, but I need these four, five, six, ten changes. And you make the decision whether or not um you want to change it. There is no it, that's professionally not, not right, but, uh, what were you gonna say? Um Professionally speaking, um, when you look at what a publisher wants, most often a publisher is going to want something between 50 and 100K. Um, so anything over that, they're not even going to read. When it comes to fandom... Longer is better. And fandom is fine. You do you, but I don't... I mean, when I encounter a work that's over 300K, I'm, I'm going to ask myself, why is this one work? Why isn't this three? What's wrong with this story? I, for me, it's up the threshold about 175 to 200K. And I know I've exceeded that in one work. I get it, but I've never been hesitant about critiquing my work. So, 
she knows it's too long. <laughs> I know that's and too long. Unspeakable plot is too long as it's currently written, which is why I want to split it into episodes. But honestly, I keep looking at it and go, girl, no. <laughs> just I'm just not there yet. I'm not there yet. She's working on it. Um, I got disconnected. I'm honestly not working on it. Because <laughs> every once in a while, I'll open it and go, "Fuck sh- for fuck's sake!" And then she just and then just close it. Does that count as working on it? Yes. Okay. Um, then I'm working like hell on it. The stuff I'm not working on, I haven't even touched the folder since I decided not to work on it. You know. It's just- <laughs> It's like, if I don't click on it, I don't have to deal with it. Um, but when it comes to, you have to look really carefully. You need to understand what kind of story you've written. Because some stories are like, what I would call like one big event stories, right? It's like one thing. And I don't really find that typically very splittable, unless you're adding a lot of stuff in. And maybe and maybe you need to. That's that's a factor. Because if your story is really poorly fleshed out, you, let, you say you got 60k and it's poorly fleshed out, well, you might need to add some subplots or something to make it, or or just something to round it out better. But in, there are some stories I don't think lend themselves to being split up. I don't think Courtney and Marty Granger lends itself to being split up into smaller pieces. Um, it depends upon how it's conceived. Now, some things, you look at them, you go, oh, yeah, that might work better in, diff- in, diff- in a different style. It might work better as a series of novellas, or it might work better episodically, or... I don't think 57K is an issue. Why? Why? Okay, but when you posed this question, I thought you were looking at 150, 200K. What do you mean by it's in three parts? I don't understand what what that means. So you think you got three short stories and you tried to put it together as a novel. But if it doesn't feel like one story, it should be hard to split it. The mere fact that your dog has a favorite bra says everything we need to know about that con- that situation at Azure. Just so w- when you say parts two and three are the issue, are they, are they the issue because they're not finished? Okay, so here's the thing. Immediately separate all three um um all three parts into separate documents. You know where your three parts are roughly, right? Separate them right now into three different documents and stop considering them one project. Then focus on rough drafting and then second drafting your first part. So that it is clearly a um novella in your mind. Right? Does that make sense? I really think you need to do the physical split. Um, because sometimes for me, uh, the easiest part of separating Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond was actually doing the physical split. Because once I did the physical split and I started treating them like individual works, it got really easy to figure out where my big where my, my beginning and middle and end should be for each episode. But looking at it as a whole, and this is probably my problem with um, the unspeakable plot, is that I have not done the splitting yet. Because it's just like, I can't. There's just something, there's something, in, and maybe it's because I'm still on the fence about the pairing. Because all the time I was writing the unspeakable plot, I felt like something was missing, something was off, something was wrong with it. And so I tried rewriting it and putting Draco in. But the first part of it, 
is so tight that it was hard to insert him so that he didn't look like an afterthought. Both to me, both from the writer and from the characters themselves. So it was just like... There, there's going to be a lot of rewriting to do there. Um, well, no, they're not issues. They're not issues if he's not there. The, the issues become the structure. The structure no longer works. Um, and the plot is too tight. And also, I created a situation where he could not be seen in public with them. Because there was no logical reason for him to be there. So, I mean... Which made the afterthought feeling worse because he was always on the outside of... Because I could not... There was no logical explanation to offer for his presence in their life at that point. Honestly, at any point in canon. Because why on earth would Harry Potter and Hermione Granger suddenly become best friends with Draco Malfoy their third year? Out of the blue. She has some fixing to do. So I have issues. And it's... um. And also because they are trying to hide a whole bunch of things. They don't want anybody's attention. And the first and a really good way to get everybody's attention is for them to act completely out of character. That's a big, huge ripple. If Dumbledore looks and says, no, okay, you've fallen out with the Weasleys and now you're snuggling up to a Death Eater's son, that only brings his negative attention. Well, they had already had his negative attention, but it does but double now, down on it. It yeah. would double down on it, and so there are, um, there are issues, and so, uh, and when you're splitting your your work up, you have to consider that. And there are lots of things that are happening in the first part of Unspeakable Plot that have to go down a certain way for the rest of the plot to work. Dumbledore has to be suspicious, but he can't be too suspicious. They don't want to catch the attention of the wraith, the, the wrath, the wraith form of Voldemort before they can get their hands on all the Horcruxes, which is an issue. They have to watch Molly Weasley and make sure she doesn't interfere. They've got Snape on deck. They don't have enough assets in Hogwarts. Harry and Hermione are no longer, they're not adults anymore. They're in kid bodies. And then there's Draco, also in a kid body, who's been a grown-ass man for, dec for uh, you know a decade. Um, and so they are, well, not half a decade, considering their ages at the time. They are, uh, and all of them, all the ones coming back from back into time, are also having all these emotional issues as well. Harry and Hermione are combat vets, but and, and Draco as well, due to his unfortunate circumstances in canon. Um, and they're now they're in 12-year-old, 13-year-old bodies, and they have no body autonomy. Well, they have no autonomy. Forget body autonomy. They have none. They can't leave Hogwarts by themselves. They can't spend their own money without people asking questions. They know that their body autonomy has been violated repeatedly in the past by Dumbledore, by Snape, and, and, and by Molly Weasley. They have all these issues in play. Um, and they have their mission. because And their mission must come before everything else. Because otherwise, the, the sacrifices they, they, they've already made will be worthless. And the center of all this is Jonah, who's having to deal with his um what he considers to be kind of inappropriate paternal um feelings for these two 
agents who have been in his employee as you know em employees and now they're in children's bodies and they're uncomfortable and they can't he can't expect them to be as powerful and as um good in their jobs as they were in the past so there's just a lot of issues when it comes to unspeakable plot and i'll work through it eventually but all those things have to come into play when my when i split it up it's not um well, but you've got you've got two completely separate problems. One is you've got a major element you have to resolve and split, which yeah. is which is. Which, but it, which I, is, the splitting will help with the issue. It will. It will because it for I think for a variety of reasons, but it is a more complicated problem because you've got new element to bring in on top of the splitting, which is not quite the same as just split something. Um, although in a way, in a way, um, it allows you to approach the splitting as almost a rewrite, which can be, this is just my opinion, an easier way to approach something like this because you're going in geared up for a lot of work because you're bringing in this new element because you, it, you're kind of doing a rewrite. Um, sometimes I think people look at do, this kind of project as doing, um, uh, like an edit, and it really isn't editing. And so I think when you've got this a, a new a new thing you have to write, you're in be in a better headspace. Mm -hmm. And for... also, it's um it's not just copying and pasting it all into separate documents and calling it a day. No, it's this. This is this in a way, and I actually had said earlier that chaptering is a completely separate topic, and it is. But it is the same issue of writing your novel and then putting your chapters in, because when you put breaks in you've got to there's a there's an element of you know editing slash rewriting um yeah for those of you using the browser we don't know what's going on but the problem doesn't exist in the desktop app or the phone app for that matter so um if you're having a problem with the disconnect reconnect and it's being super distracting for you you can try switching to one of the apps okay okay so when it comes to this when it comes to this but i think if you've got a uh, I think just mentally, from a you know the mental writer perspective, there's a different mindset between editing and writing. Maybe that everybody doesn't experience that, but I do. And so a rewrite is a different mindset from an edit. And an edit that is really hard or really complicated can be very frustrating because, I don't know, for me anyway. So for me, it's it, it is a mental game, but for me, it helps when I'm doing that kind of work to go into it as a rewrite, and that way it is more creative, more organic, and I honestly feel like I solve problems better than sometimes in an editing space, getting bogged down in fixing the, the narrative or whatever, or you know, adding elements in. It's just it's just a different it's just a different place for me. I I have a very different headspace when I edit than I than I do when I write. So but your your mileage may vary. For me, a, a rewrite is far more relaxing. And I'm also more prone to dump large amounts of material in rewriting than I would in an edit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. So I, I think that just kind of sometimes you just got to play that mental game with yourself. And if you're going to split think of it as an opportunity to rewrite and it, it, it may be that some sections don't need a lot but you're because you're in a creative headspace i think you'll just blow past those sections that are good and work on 
the things that do need rewriting and adding the elements in to make a story. But the first thing you have to do is define what the three stories are. This is the first story. This is its arc. This is beginning, middle, and end. This is the second story. This is its arc. It's beginning, middle, and end. This is the third story and how it's going to all, how it's all going to build together into climax. So once you've done that, then you treat each, all three books as separate rewrite projects or all three novellas as separate rewrite projects. Well, I mean, massive rewrite, I guess, in the sense that you're maybe rewriting most of your content, but I would say I think you're in better shape than if you had a 200K or 300K you were trying to break up. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm thinking. I honestly, in your position, I would probably um, edit book one, rewrite as much of book two as I had to, and replot for book three. Um, to make sure you have complete, um, to make sure your arc is complete, right? Yeah, I don't. Well, is that right? Is that, does that make sense to me? I mean, that's what that's what I would do. I mean. I mean, just thinking about it, logistically speaking, I was that because you killed your your love interest in part two, and you have to redo that. Part three is it's going to be difficult to weave that dead character back in. So, you say you're taking the red pen of death to it already. That tells me you're in an editing mindset, and you need to get back into a writing mindset. You need to think of them as think of them as zero drafts. And nobody edits a zero draft. You write on a zero draft, okay? So think of what you've got as just a starting point and sit down with the mind to writing the story, the mind to editing the story. Because you're first not you definitely you need to do is split them. Split, split, split. You're, you're not ready for editing. And red penning is editing. No, it doesn't. That's, no, it doesn't. That's the point we're making. You are editing something that you're not finished writing you are editing your zero draft because this isn't your finished product. You edit when you're done and you're, and you're hell and gone from done. You need to split those three works into three parts and start rewriting part one because this editing gap you're in right now is 100% procrastination and it serves no purpose because editing in the middle of your writing, um, in, Editing in the middle of your writing process is, um, it's just bad business, dude. It's just gonna, it's yeah. just gonna mess your headspace up. I mean, you've talked about earlier. You talked about that um, part two and three weren't really finished. That there, um, and then you said something about um, you're flipping genres and you're adding a pairing. Um, so why bother editing? You're not done. So why, I don't know why you're editing. The last thing I do before I send off to beta and alpha. Or uh, is edit is edit to beta to beta yeah sometimes alpha happens with it yeah know. sometimes my alpha does happen with just ignore my spelling mistakes and tell me if this sucks yeah but that's still writing get back in the writing mode and stop trying to edit it I mean honestly you're shooting yourself in the foot but if you want to edit a project you're going to completely rewrite you go ahead and go waste that time it just would not be my advice I mean it is wasted time. Totally. I mean, yeah, I mean, I cringe at stuff I wrote a decade ago, 
But I wouldn't stop to edit it if I was going to rewrite it. Because what's the point? I'm rewriting it. I'm going to have to edit it again later. So editing now serves no purpose. And also, stop being mean to teenage you. Or younger teenage you. You're 20 now. Stop being mean to 17-year-old you. She wrote a whole novel. Shut up. <laughs> Well, it honestly, you keep talking. The thing is, is, is I'd be a little bit of a cognitive dissonance because you talk about, you say, like, I wrote it when I was 16. Like, it was so long ago. But, girl, it wasn't that long ago. You just turned 20. But stop being mean to young you. She did something awesome. She wrote a whole novel. So shut we, up. But we all, yeah, yeah, quit being, but we all have grown. We all grow in two or three years. And But I would not take the approach of picking up something that I wrote. Okay, I started writing back in fandom again in 2013 and I would not pick up something that I wrote in 2013 and sit down and edit it because it was cringeworthy before I rewrote it. That's just girl. No. And that's further back. That's six years ago. So we all grow. We all grow every time we pick up the pen, figuratively speaking and write. we all grow, but you can't just tear apart everything you used to write and, and 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 treat yourself like you've screwed up somehow and and oh you know and be and don't be embarrassed about it yes sometimes like sometimes i look at some of the cliches in some of my work i'm like oh my god i can't believe i used that cliche i mean that was fandom talking to me right that was that was fandom that was just it was like I was channeling fandom with that cliche but rosie said you came in like a bang and i said a hurricane and queenie said a wrecking ball so so take your pick what I wreck. <laughs> I wonder if I was a wrecking ball. I want to know what I wrecked. Aside from Cures a large portion of the NCIS fandom who didn't know they needed dragons. <laughs> um, but so so let's talk about like kind of like go a little bit more about the process as opposed to the specific example because you have to if you're looking at something you've written and you could honestly look at this even from a plotting exercise if you're a plotter and you've done a lot of plotting and you've got like a 20 page plot plus a notebook full of notes and world building and stuff it can be work to split that up because you're still not you're gonna have attacked. i'm not attacking you <laughs> But it's, it's worked it's worked to split that up it's worked to split up a, a big plot just like it's worked to split up the actual work um but you just got to go into it prepared for the fact that it's going to be difficult in some ways more difficult than writing the project organically from the start but that's okay because sometimes that story would be will be better for that if if you're motivated to do it now one of the things between me and a rewrite of emergence is I weigh that. Does this rewrite weigh out the things I want to write today, the new things I want to write today? And so far that hasn't happened. Now I planned the rewrite. I haven't done it because every time I think back on that, do I want to do that? There's something else I'm more interested in than I'm working on now. And that's something you have to ask yourself. Is this thing you wrote, I'm not talking specifically to, to you, Margaret, but to anybody who's thinking about this, is this thing you wrote way back when something you really want to shape into something else? And ask yourself that question because we don't need to tear apart everything we did in the past that wasn't perfect. It isn't necessary because that those were steps on your journey. Um, 
steps on my journey. It, it is what it is. Now, sometimes we'll go, okay, I see the potential in that. And one of the reasons why I might eventually go back and do that work on emergence is because it would make it easier to continue to, to finish the series if I fix the problems that are holding me back, because there are some of the existing issues are, are why I haven't continued to work on the story. So it would be easier to progress and move forward with it if I fixed it. Um, but not everything that I look at that I've written in the past that doesn't isn't exactly what I would write today is worth tearing apart and rewriting. And and that and that may be something to consider for anybody considering this kind of thing is is do you have an idea that you love that you think would be sort of better served and you want to go through this rewrite process and maybe tear it you know break it up into short stories or novellas instead of instead of one big novel or something is that something you're going to find satisfying and rewarding to kind of perfect this project or can you just look at that as this is a thing I did. It was part of my my growth path, and I'm ready to let it go. Or sometimes you can just take the ideas and the concepts in that thing that you wrote originally and move them into something new completely and just completely do a new work using a lot of the same premises, but how you are as a writer today. I could totally do the dragon thing today and do it completely and take the premises that I liked in that um, that really work for me still and do something completely new and it wouldn't be a rewrite. I'd just be leveraging my own shit because I can do that. I'm not mad. I mean, I think Hannibal would make a beautiful dragon. He wouldn't he though? <laughs> <laughs> I want to tell you that um, when I was working on my um, little short for my bingo, which I'm almost done with, um, I honestly, for a really hot moment, deeply regretted the fact that, uh, that I had married that I married Rampart off in ties that bind. I deeply regret it too. I just want you to know. <laughs> I mean, I'm not on board with you killing Angela. Um, so well, I'm sorry. not either. I am not either. But I was like, because I never really considered um, Rampart as a viable character for. Uh, that kind of thing as far as like you know pairing up with tony but i honestly think that uh, oh no randolph is dedicated to his wife yeah. um i if i had it to do over again i probably would make him single um just so that jilly could ride him into ties that bind in ncis <laughs> it wouldn't be no, the same no if i were writing it if i were writing a ties that bind story i'd want it to be canon ties it by canon so that i i have that thing in my head that tony's you know no it's not the same it's just so, not the same no that's people, gonna work no people are, people are not interchangeable um I have an interesting storyline for tony that i've plotted for ties that bind um but i have to talk to kira if if Rampart and Angela ever had threesomes, like just one-off type things, but because I don't know what they do. <laughs> I'm sure that one-off no, threesomes. I, mean, I know, I know that one-off threesomes happen in ties that bind, but I don't. Some company, some couples are monogamous, so it's my head canon that the moment he set eyes on her, he was done. So that's that. But Tony does um, bang a lot of people in, in the arc that I put together. The thing is, is that um, I just I, I feel like if he did light eyes on Tony first, he'd have been done too. <laughs> He'd have been done. So it's just like 
Right, you know, because because Angela's a courtesan, so you know that'd be rude as fuck. He put a wedding ring on her finger, and he just didn't put a collar on her. He married her. There, there's a big difference in ties that bind between marriage and collaring. And when you marry someone, that's a whole new ball game. See, there you go. Because in a world where sexuality is so open and sex is so um, casual. When I was putting together ties that bind and I was thinking about how that would work, I knew that marriage would be the ultimate commitment for both partners, that, that, that it would be like a sign of monogamy. Um, so it's like, it's like I'm done playing and you're it. So it's a very romantic, immense gesture to make for both parties. Um, so no. As fun as it would be. Yes, that is exactly why that Sam is such a monster in Ties That Bind. And why people, when they find out the extent of the, the nastiness in their relationship, the people are so appalled. Because she violated the sanctity of their marriage. Which has hell and gone worse than, um, than anything else she done in the, uh, did in the minds of plenty of people. So marriage is no is is when you're when you're looking at your world building and when you create something like ties that bind, um, where you create this the society where sex is so casual, you have to look at the consequences of what um, monogamy is, how it's created, how it's maintained, what fidelity means, what what infidelity means, because in the mind of Declan Frost, Sean willingly engaging. In a personal conversation with a dom would be considered um, infidelity. It would be no difference than dropping to his knees and sucking somebody's dick as far as Declan's concerned. Which is a very realistic extrapolation of the way BDSM actually happens because some doms are like that. They have very specific rules and protocol about how, they, and, and this is not an all the time thing, as a, which is the difference between a BDSM world and people who have BDSM play. But uh -huh. like when you're in the dungeon, some, some couples, it's like their couple, their, their submissives are free to talk about whoever, whoever they want. And some submissives only talk to each other. And that's every couple has their own protocol. So you got to check that stuff out before you start talking to people. Declan has not been recast in Ties That Bind because I never had any intention of writing in NCIS. Yeah, you did recast Declan. Did I? Not in Ties That Bind. In, yeah. um, did I? I? You, I thought you did in For Ties you? That Bind. No, I thought you did in Ties That Bind. I, I thought you put it on the page. Signals, maybe, of, um, Signals of Atlantis. Only in, Is it because there's art? There is art. Yeah, for Ties That Bind. But Sentinels of Atlantis, I think there probably is art for that too. But I did change it for Sentinels of Atlantis because I'm going to bring Tony Dinozo in. But when I conceptualized Ties That Bind, I never had any intention of writing NCIS. Because Zambi wrote NCIS in her BDSM world. And I didn't want people to think that I was just kind of like wholesale copying her idea. I took her concept and walked away with it. And that's what... Um, I told her when I asked for permission to post it what what I had done, and so I didn't want to introduce more elements um, like NCIS into it into the full scale of my work. Is like you know Gibbs suddenly being on Atlantis the way he was in in um, in her AU, um, that kind of thing. But I'm not opposed to Julie writing NCIS, of course. But um, I was just trying to draw a line in the sand for myself as far as you know, like 
my connection to Zancy's work. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like you were, you were trying not to, um, to cover the full scope of what she covered with hers. Right. Um, Which is why my secondary fandom um, was going to be Criminal Minds. And I really, I'm working on recasting him in my brain and getting that situated so that I can work on that. Um, So when it comes to like the NCIS component, um, if I ever get around to writing, I'm struggling with the pairing a little bit. Um, If I ever get, if I ever, you know, get there, um, it's just a suspension of disbelief issue that they look similar. You know, you just have to accept that they don't look exactly the same. Well, they probably would never meet. Right. But anybody who happened to know the both of them would just would might, I, not that I would actually go into that, but it would just be the reader would just have to suspend their disbelief that anybody who knew both of them would just think that they, they looked kind of similar. Because a lot of people look kind of similar. Everybody has a doppelganger. Yeah. I mean, no. that whole scene in SG1 where um, Claudia Black says that their gene pool is kind of limited and Michael Shanks and Ben Browder exchange looks because... Yeah. <laughs> they could pass for brothers. <laughs> a very limited gene pool. But no, I would I always find the cousins thing with two when they do two actors who are who are who are two characters played by the same actor making them cousins. I always find that really contrived. I would just rather go with the whole just ignore it. Just ignore it thing than put a contrived plot element in. That there's too much art for ties at mine for us to change that. But um I did change Declan in Sentinels of Atlantis and in Finding Atlantis, as a matter of fact. Just for my own amusement. Um, I couldn't I couldn't remember which stories you had changed it in. Um yeah. who plays who? You mean who, who the recasting was um the recasting for Declan was uh in the in those other two stories was Tyler Hecklin. But I also recast Sean because Orlando Bloom would be too old. Even though he looks particularly young, he'd be too old to play that version of Sean. I forget. Honestly, you'll have to go look. It should be on the page for Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, but there are a lot of moving parts in the story like uh, like Ties That Bind. So in a, in a, in a world-building AU like Ties That Bind. So when you're... Um, creating an episode series it's good to keep that in mind and when you're splitting a large novel into that a lot of times when you're splitting a large novel into um, um into its parts that, that makes sense as far as episodes go you're going to end up expanding your world building yes thank you lady holder um he's, like, he's such a cute kid ezra miller he's just adorable Anyways, um, he's an adult. He's a grown man, but he's still, you know, quite young and adorable. Um, your world building is going to uh, grow, and your character building is going to get deeper. And you're probably going to need more OCs than you originally had. You know, background characters who pop up now and again, waiters, store clerks people on the train, you know, just the bigger you spread your story out, the bigger your world will be, and you have to populate it. But you don't want your background characters to stand out like a side quest. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think the only reason I would split a novel into episodes 
Well, there might be a couple reasons, but unless if it was an if it was really like an epic, you could do it. I would, I might do it because of that reason that it was just too long. But if it was just typical novel length, so fifty to maybe one hundred twenty or even one hundred fifty thousand words, the only reason I would go to episodes over any other format is because I would need a lot of points of view. That's, that's really the only reason why I would do episodes because it's just it's it's so much to me. If you've already got the novel written, you're adding a lot of work to switch that into episodes. And I'm just just kind of more of a conservation of energy at this point. The 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 other side of it, conversely, is that I have a project that I wrote and plotted as episodes that the concept would fit better as a novel, and that would be Revenant. I find that cons- conceptually easier to do the merge there than it is you think to, so to um i thought so too until i tried to do it there's a reason why revenant's been sitting on wild hair for so long i can't wrap my mind i can't i know that it needs to be a novel i know that i knew that about episode three of which i wrote six um i knew at, at that point that i that i had made a mistake and i had picked the wrong damn project for this episode challenge right but I'm having a hard time smushing it together I'm having a hard time smushing it and I think that I'm also having a problem because one of the reasons why I struggled with this project is I felt like the emotional intimacy was missing and it was because of the way I structured the episodes that it was very honestly Revenant feels very clinical to me and, and maybe it's because I kind of violated my unicorn. Um, I mean, because my unicorn stopped being just John and became John and this other dude from the past. Mm-hmm. And it's just like... <sighs> but I couldn't have put him in anybody else. It was the only character that worked, right? Um but there is an emotional intimacy missing, and maybe I just need to spend more time with um with with, with John and Gaius because I'm not. It's kind of foreign. I feel foreign in it. I don't even. I mean, I don't know. I can't. I can't really. If if I could fully conceptualize all my issues with Revenant, and it could also just be the hostility I have around the show. The show. I mean the. <laughs> Around the 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 shit show. Oh, you mean the shenanigans? You know, with all the weird questions about you know your source material and stuff. Because people people lost their shit on me during the middle of that challenge, and I was like, oh my god, when have I ever written a, written a crossover and not labeled it? So, no one, no host is a really offensive word to use in the reverend structure. John isn't a host. He's an anchor. Guys is not a parasite. <laughs> but it's there's just something I don't know. If I conceptualized completely what was wrong with me and it comes to that, I probably would have already fixed it and moved on. <laughs> and sometimes that happens. Sometimes you just gotta noodle on something for a while. Like it just takes you time to figure it out. And sometimes it's not what you think the problem is. Like you think you know what it is and then you get to digging in and you're like, ah, that was my problem. Well, no, Gaius and John, I mean, Gaius does not need 
Gaius does not require an anchor. He wants an anchor. He, um, he wants to continue to experience um, humanity, but it's not required. Um, and the only thing he gets out of his um, um, out of being anchored um, is emotional experience. John's emotional experiences. So he's not really a symbiote and he's not a parasite. He is nothing like a gold or even a trill. There is no, there's no comparison between um, what Gaius is and what the trill are in Stargate, in Star Trek. And when that came up, I was like, really? That's what you see? Because it's not the same (laughs) because the trill practically subvert their host. Yeah, I think it can, and that's true. Now, I've seen some people write it a little differently, like um, um, when Sunrider did Tony having being a trill. Um, it, it was very distinctly two separate personalities. Which um, is weird. And Tony was more in control than the trill was. Uh, Which is not how canon worked. But I think that was a... But I could see why you would change it that way or make that adaptation when you were putting a trill and a character you like. Right. So, you know, uh, but anyway, um, so I feel, I mean, I feel like in terms of the novel splitting thing, I think we've kind of covered that, like how to split things up and what, what the approach should take. Um, and we're like, we only did like an hour, but I would think that like kind of the, the macro issue about all of this is what kind of, what kind of story are you telling? And I think sometimes you get it right from the beginning and sometimes you write it and then you realize you're off. And maybe for the rest of the podcast, we could talk about like how to assess what you're trying to do and what, how to figure out what kind of structure is going to work the best for you. Okay. Does that work? Mm -hmm. Also, what I would like to say is that sometimes, um, you see a concept that you want to do. You see a, a method that you want to do. Um, and it's very uh, it's very sexy, right? The, the idea of, of writing in episodes. Because it's really rewarding to put up short works that are complete. And there's something to be said for feeling successful. And sometimes you'll have an idea and you'll try to cram it into that format just to get that personal validation of completing something. And it's not a good idea. Not that, not that your idea is bad, but that the, but the structure you're trying to, um, mm-hmm. the structure you're trying to, to shove your idea into isn't ideal. And sometimes, you know, you, you have an idea for one structure, but for whatever reason, it's not going to work. And so it, do you you can't you can't always just change the structure so then you have to kind of reconceptualize um you have to reconceptualize what you're doing so um, so for example um the 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 pro thing the pro my first pro work i initially conceived that as a novel with a different storyline slight somewhat different storyline. Did you but see what I, Alexander just put in the chat room? <laughs> no, I wasn't looking at the chat room. Um, <laughs> For those of you on the podcast, Alexander said, I mixed up Trill and Tribble and got very confused there. 
Yeah, that would be confusing. Very. <laughs> don't, put, don't put that triple in that, man. Um, <laughs> there are laws that is, against that. There's not a, that's not kind to the triple. Um, but anyway, so when I conceived that story, I conceived more of a novel. But for whatever reason, I didn't want the stress on myself. For, actually, there was multiple reasons why I didn't want my first submission to be a novel-length work. Um, and part of it was... If you, some, some people might laugh at me over this, but part of it was that if it got rejected, I didn't want the time spent on a novel. I was like, I need to, if I submit a short work and it gets rejected, it's, it's probably might be less heartbreaking. I don't know. Um, but I would, it, it'd be less work to fix it maybe, or to turn it into something else. Anyway, I had a whole neurotic thing going on about why I decided that it needed to be a short story for that first one. So taking that novel idea I had and just, cutting off part of it and making it into a short story wasn't going to work because that that was not it, it was a completely different storyline so it, it would have felt incomplete it would have felt um it would it, would just, it just would, wouldn't have served i couldn't just take the, the novel i'd conceived and turn it into three short stories or three novellas or whatever it just no um so i completely reconceived the the arc of the stories and how that would go and and what i was centering what major event i was pinning each individual story on so it, it's important sometimes and sometimes you miss it sometimes you you start writing something as a novel and you go why didn't i write this as episodes or you start writing in something as episodes and you go oh, gee i wish this was a novel um but at least think about what what the needs are of what you're trying to do. do you, if you need a lot of points of view, you might need a series of short stories or episodes. If you need them, I stress that. I stress the word need there. Because you don't always need 15 points of view. You just think you do. Yeah. No, you never need 15 points of view in a novel. Never. Never. So <laughs> points of view, the number of points of view you need could be... Um, telling about what it is what, what you want to do if you need six or seven you might be looking at series of short stories or not, or episodes and if, if it's a pro work you're looking at a series of short stories i would imagine not not episodes but um so look at look at what it is you need to accomplish do you have one big event if it's one big event you've got a novel uh if you've got a lot of little things happening that are leading up to um, a bigger a bigger thing that are kind of coming together. You could have episodes or series of short stories. Do you have um, kind of one story arc that's being told in um, that has a certain definitive mile milestones in each one? Like um, this is cliche, but birth, life, and death. Right? Those could be like mile markers if you're doing like a, a, an arc about someone's life. Um, or at least, if you're at doing least a or if you're doing an arc about somebody's metamorphosis. Yeah, yeah. Symbolically, you know. Um, or, you know, getting together, you know, meet, the meet, meeting, getting, you know, meeting, getting together, um, living together, getting married, whatever. I mean, so you have, there are, there are, there are major points you can hang something on that, that tells an overall story too, but that there's still major events that you can break up as your high points because 
you know, a story without a climax actually isn't a story. It's, it's a monologue, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing with it. But you got to have a, you got to have that point that you're taking to. So if you don't, if you've got it's interrupted if, masturbation. <laughs> And have you ever read a story that didn't seem to have a climax? I mean, the author may have felt there was one, but if, you know, if, if you can't spot it, then there was probably some work that needed to be done there. I'm just saying. A climax doesn't have to be huge. No, sometimes it's a very small thing. It's a very subtle thing. Because it, it could be an event climax. If some, A lot of times emotional climaxes are... And not uncommon in a romance is that the climax might be an emotional moment. It could be a very small scene, a very small moment that is the height of the emotional journey, which might be out of space, out of space, out of place in a, you know, sci-fi novel about a space war that your climax is a, is a very tiny emotional moment. People might miss it because they're not seeing that emotional journey if your if your climax is an emotional moment, you need to be having an emotional journey in your story. Oh, I just thought of a really awesome emotional moment. So, okay, so say these two species are at war with each other, right? Um, and they both have soulmate magic, and they finally get to a full on confrontation, and one of them blows up one of the other ships, but then all of the ships every single ship in the thing just stops moving because people are losing their soulmate marks left and right. Just from the one ship. Ooh. And like, there's like, it's just like people on all the ships on both sides are losing their soulmate marks because hundreds died. Thousands died on that ship, depending on how big it is. Anyways, it's kind of popped into my brain. That's, th that's a moment, Right. It is a moment. That's a moment. But it could just be one person. What if the leader of the eight, of, of one of the fleets, um, they, they blow up the, an enemy ship and the soulmate mark he's worn for 50 years disappears. And he realizes that they're in the middle of a war with a species that's so compatible with them that his soulmate was born on another planet. It would be an excellent Babylon 5 um, canon divergence, Ellie. That'd be a good moment. But it, it's why it's important to know what when you're sitting down to write, even if you're a pantser, what the, what the thrust of your story is. Okay, pardon my sex word. Somebody's going to no doubt have an issue with that. What the point of your story is, what the, what the, what the major theme is, that you know where you're going and what you're trying to tell. Um, cause your climax might be a small emotional moment. It might be an epic battle. It could be, see, I knew somebody was going to laugh at thrust. I knew it. <laughs> um, considering this podcast has outright featured explicit discussion of anal sex. I think it's okay if you use the word thrust. We've you can about, even say thrust repeatedly. Have we graphically talked about anal sex tonight? Not, not yet. We'll get, get set <laughs> to change your rating. Because we're going to talk about thrusting. And, and potentially thrusters. Um, the night is still young. <laughs> so know what kind of story you want to tell. What kind of climax you have. If you've got just... 
if the only thing you even there's small moments right but if you the only thing you conceptualize is you got this one big moment you've probably got a novel and like I said, sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you get into the writing and you feel like it would, you find it would be better served to have done it a different way. But if you know up front, it really does help the planning process as much as you can so that you don't get into a situation later where you're trying to figure out how to stitch a story together or trying to figure out how to take a story apart. I'm pretty sure that the, yeah, the chat room just did the time warp. <laughs> they did a something. <laughs> if there is anybody in this chat room who does not get that, you don't go to bed. You you are up way past your bedtime. <laughs> way past. <laughs> Anyways, um, there have been times. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, in retrospect, I wish I'd have written um, *Revenant* as a novel and picked a different concept to to explore during that challenge. Um, I wish, uh quite vehemently that I had not chosen to write synthetic for um, November because it is not a fan fiction concept the way I thought it was. Um, it would be much better suited in original work. Um, it's just not, it's just not, <laughs> it's just not what, you know, I thought it was one thing and it was another. I really wish I'd written my rocket man idea. Well, I wish you'd written Rocket Man too. I think we'd all really had a good time with it. Well, I, for one of the challenges, I had the same thing, which is urban fantasy, which is that I picked the idea that I liked the least. And because everything I kept coming up with urban fantasy, I was like, I should do that in the original work, right? I'm like, oh, this idea I'm not particularly attached to. And then I started it and I went, shit. There's absolutely nothing about this that is in any way fandom specific and, and I really like it. Why am I doing this? So, whatever. Sometimes you have that. I don't even remember what I did for urban fantasy. Oh, oh, oh I did the Sentinel one. Yeah. 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 The lady, hold, the lady holder, <laughs> the lady Hawk thing. Yeah. 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 Which it kind of kicked your butt too, but in a different way. Yeah. Because as it turns out, Kara writes paranormal romance. She doesn't write urban, urban fantasy. fantasy. <laughs> I like that one too. But I was like, I had to cut it off because I was approaching a point um, and I realized that um, I wasn't writing an urban fantasy, which was the challenge. I was writing a paranormal romance. And so I just kind of pushed through. But I feel like can we do a paranormal romance challenge? As it turns out, we're doing three of them next year. <laughs> 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 because, well, you can make it romance if you want to, but, but the Sentinel is paranormal. So, but in 2021, we will put romance, paranormal romance on the deck. We did it once before, I think with a shifter challenge. The shifter challenge would have had to have been before my time. So, um, I think it was. Hold on, let me let me look. Let me look in the database. Because if we're considering a wish list for 2021 as a potential, I wouldn't mind if we revisited Soulmates. I would not mind it either. So, we did. Okay, Blue Moon was the Urban Fantasy Challenge, which I will never encourage again. Um, when we did a single POV challenge, which most of you bitches failed, um, I meant that bitch affectionately. 
She always means bitch affectionately, and she means heifer affectionately about half the time. Yeah, I mean, you need you need to, you need to consider context if she calls you a heifer. I mean, heifer could be literally dishonor on your cow. Um, but sometimes dishonor on your cow isn't a bad thing either. So, so we did a shifter challenge in April of 2013, and it was a 30k, uh, and we did a second chances, which a lot of you wrote paranormal for in April 2016. Um, we did the Blue Moon, which was the Urban Fantasy, in November of 2017. And then we did a Call It Magic, which was paranormal, obviously, um, Harry Potter Challenge in April 2018. And that's it. So I think we probably could do... Um, that being said, it would be very easy for you guys to mix soulmate tropes, especially into November when we're doing the layers. November of next year is going to be Year of the Sentinel Layers, where you have to layer another trope on top of the Sentinel trope. I'm doing a Rule 63, I'm pretty sure. But I mean, soulmates could be one of the ones you add to that. It'd be really interesting. I've never honestly read a soulmate AU that also had Sentinels and Guides. I mean, I could I could maybe consider that for my layer, but it would be... I, I, I personally don't find a lot of appeal just at first blush in melding soulmate and sentinel and guide au just just because i find that sentinel and guide is already pretty close to soulmate ish the way i write it um not always i don't always write it soulmate ish but it, it's pretty damn close yeah so probably paranormal for april of 2020 we and have cow emojis i did not know we had cow emojis <laughs> and soulmates for November and I don't know after a whole year of Sentinels if we'll do an, another little black dress in July so we'll, we'll just look and see how that goes probably not another movie challenge though because I don't think you guys I mean I really didn't enjoy that challenge myself um, well I think I think our most people write in either a book fandom or a TV show fandom not all, but most. Because mm -hmm. uh, I would consider Harry Potter more a book fandom than a t movie fandom. So, unicorn is not an animal emoji. Margaret, go to the corner. <laughs> dishonor on your cow. <laughs> it's totally dishonor on your cow. But leave the unicorn behind because you clearly don't appreciate it. <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, that was that was the difficulty in the structure of it was that it was difficult writing, inserting a whole story into the falling action. But I think the bigger issue was for me um, was that it was movies. Not, I mean, MCU is movies technically, but outside of MCU, literally outside of the MCU, we don't have a, a big, we don't have much people who write movie fandoms. Yeah. This is why people signed up with multiple, sometimes multiple MCU stories. And I didn't blame them, right? So I was like, okay, I get it. Even, I mean, even if you're writing movie verse Hobbit, I would still consider that a book fandom. You get a lot more richer detail out of the books. So I'm not sure um, what I would pick for July of 2021. 20, that is so weird. 2021. Wow. Time flies. Well, boot, it's boot campy. Well, we could look back. If we're kind of revisiting some favorites of stuff from the past, we could look back at what some favorites maybe do. We'll talk about that later. Um, 
Oh well, if it's, if, if if we're gonna be looking at like um, favorite tropes that have been that were really popular on RT, um, soulmates, magic, and time travel. That's a little hard to wedge into the short story. Time travel is hard to do short format. Um, it would be a challenge. <laughs> yes, it would be a challenge. She does like to give us challenges in July. Ha ha, Starlight. I'm not sure if I should reward you for your great wordplay or if I should send you to the corner for it. I think probably send you to the corner. <laughs> Midnight, Rosie's decided you're going into the corner. I mean, and I don't think I don't think she's ever sent anybody to the corner before. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tentatively put time travel on it, guys, or second chances, which is what we called our uh, our first time travel. Which I think most people did time travel with it, but you wouldn't necessarily have to do. Wait, we did. We called the so we had we had two challenges called second chances. Um. Or, 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 oh, you're saying we called it second chances and a lot of people did time travel. Yeah. Okay, because the well, second chances I our, didn't do time travel. What was our original time travel challenge? I don't know. We have actually never done a full-blown time travel challenge. What did you run Emergence for? Uh, that was Nano. There was no theme. It was Nano 2013. It was themeless. Themeless. What about, okay, so what about, if we've never done full-on time travel, what about time travel for Nano and Soulmates for April and then Paranormal Romance for July? They're all pretty broad and people can, and I think just Paranormal Romance could lend itself to 10 to 25K. Okay, I've made notes. The notes have been made. So, Soulmates for April, Paranormal Romance for July, which will be two short stories, and Time Travel for November. I made notes. Are you are you sure we haven't done tri- time travel? Because I seem to recall a lot of questions about does it count as time travel? And okay, so do you ma- do you remember that? Like you gave a list of like time this, time that, time this, time that. It all counts as time travel. Why does that sound familiar? Maybe I'm conflating it with something else. I remember that. Okay, so we did. Um, there were there were no themes basically, except for um, th- there were no themes until f- 2014. We did, um, and and that started in November. We did a soulmate challenge. We did an immort- Im- um, immortality historical. We did a little black dress. We did a single POV ch- challenge with no specific theme. Um, and then we did Second Chances, which was in April 2016. And in April of 2016, I wrote Iterum. You wrote If Found, Please Return. Which is most assuredly not time time travel. travel. So that was not a time travel specific one. Lady Holder wrote Be Braver for Merlin. I both loved and hated the single POV challenge. Because it highlighted something about me that I didn't know, which I always like to learn. So I love that part. But I actually hated the POV part. Um, but I did it. Some participants didn't even try. Okay. So then we did um, an alternate universe in November of 2016. Then we did the Mulligan Challenge in 2017. 
April, and then July we did Battle of the Five Armies, and then we did November 2017, we did the Blue Moon. Then in April 2018, we did Call It Magic. Then we did another Little Black Dress in July and Not Quite Human in November. This year we did Take Two, the sequel challenge, The Real End, the two stories, and we're doing the Divergent Pass next month. But I remember that graphic because I, I put it up on one of the groups because I was irritated. But I don't remember what it was. Yeah, about. it was It's All Time Travel. I remember you saying that because you gave all these examples, time loops, time jumps. You know, it's all time travel. But why would you have said that if we hadn't had a time travel challenge? Was it in MHQ or was it in... It, it had to be at the writer's table. Yeah, it was definitely... But all that stuff was purged. No, it wasn't. We didn't purge the... We didn't purge all those old posts? We wouldn't have purged... Um, it was something I put up on the banner, so it would still be in photos. Hold on. Oh. Yeah, it's time travel is time is time travel. Backwards, forwards, time loops, witches with time turners, doctors with boxes, stargates, solar flares, starships, and the sun, time gates, ghostly visitations, angels, demons, gods, evil clocks, time machines, leapers, soul regression, and everything in between. Just relax. Seriously. When and did you put that up? July 27, 2015. July 20 what? 27, 2015. So it would have been for the November 2015. So was single POV also time travel? It it was called Up Close and Personal. Yeah, but I know it was called Up Close and Personal, but did we have a double challenge? Was it time travel and single POV? Because I wrote time travel. You wrote time travel. Let's go back and look at it. Maybe we did. But it's been three, four years. It'll be five years by the time we get around to it again. It's in November 2017. So, Okay. I think we. I think Lady Holder, you wrote the Kelpie conspiracy. Was that time travel? Am I the wrong one? Hold on. Twenty fifteen. I want twenty seventeen. I was like, that was not accurate. Okay, hold on. November twenty fifteen. I wrote Darkly Lowell. Lady Holder wrote rest Restoration. That is time travel. Yeah, um, Courage for King Arthur one. Yeah. Um, I wrote time travel, which was Slytherin Black. Uh, Desert Poet wrote time travel. I can't imagine that the Frost I King. Desert Poet, you wrote the Frost King. Yeah, yeah, that was time travel. So we had a double theme: single POV and time, and time travel. travel. So let me. Obviously, I don't have very good notes in my database because I did not put that in my database. But I think I labeled them after that, like in eighteen. Yeah, it was it was way after that you. Because you went back and hunted up what the challenges have been. Um, I remember. You so I would have just used the art on that it's up close and personal. Let me go up here and put time travel. Because it was because it. it wasn't the time travel, even though there were a lot of questions about it. A lot. I remember. Um, we dedicated whole podcasts to the, to the POV element. Yeah, but there were a lot of questions about time travel, and that's when you finally made the graphic and like, yes, it counts as time travel. Um, and then we had, but we had podcast after podcast about single POV. So mm -hmm. I think we had two elements. Um, so I think everybody managed the time travel thing. I, I don't know that very many people managed the single POV thing. Okay. Well, if that was in 2015, so November, 2021, that'll be, I mean, that's plenty of time separating between them. And we did soulmates in November, 2014. So yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good plan y'all. I'll I'll come up with some names for it later. Twenty twenty one, the year of the favorite tropes. Yep. 
time travel soulmates and paranormal romance and inevitably if we call it that though somebody will have to write you and tell you that that's not their favorite tropes and right so we're not going to do that because i don't need to spend all of 2021 2021 i don't need to spend all 2021 cussing people out i am not opposed to it i'd just rather not no wait i'm un- i'm not unwilling to do it i just rather not and i'm certainly not above it we can call it greatest hits Honestly, it wouldn't matter what we called it. People are going to go, no, I don't think it is. It's like, shut up. No one cares. <laughs> it needs a name, and it can't be something inscrutable in Latin. <laughs> <laughs> I got to be able to pronounce it as well. That's actually really important, because I'll be saying them a lot on the podcast. So, But speaking of, you guys have basically... Um, Roughly five days to complete your project files if you have not done so for Rough Trade. Don't make me send you emails. So get your little butts in gear and get it done. And I have actually not checked today for pending files because um, um, honestly, I slept. She had she had important things to do. I would like to do some important sleeping. So here's the thing: I wash my sheets, which I do regularly. But there's something really, you know, obviously there's something really awesome about. Washing all your blankets and your sheets and putting everything on the bed. And it's so inviting. So I thought, I'll just, you know, take a nap. I woke up eight hours later. You were lured in by clean sheets. I was. Honestly, the older I get, that's pretty much what rules me, you know, is what lures me into the bed. (laughs) Well, you have two pending and... Um, that puts up to like 30, so we're still like 12 short or something like that. Which or is not bad short. for this time. So 13 short. That's not bad. Um, what? I'm not sure. Earlier, I, I think I talked and I was actually muted. Did I, did, did I talk about being um, lured into a popular concept? Or did you guys not hear that? I don't remember you saying anything about a popular concept. Okay. Sometimes you see somebody doing something that you think is really cool. And really neat. And you want to do it too. And so you try to shove your idea into it. And it doesn't work. And yes, there's something really validating about publishing in short story format. Because it's like you're, you're publishing a complete short story. And it's like there's, really, there's something really validating in that. And it makes you feel like you accomplished something. And that you're very successful. I, you know, I am very familiar with this. It's really nice. But the other side of it is, is that sometimes you'll take an idea that really would be best served with a novel and try to make it into short parts that you can put into this more popular format and be and and get the added benefit of completing something and feeling accomplished. But it doesn't serve your work. And sometimes you'll try something like um, trying to write a huge episode arc. When honestly, you shouldn't. Because it's not as easy as it looks. I had someone tell me once that, that she thought um, that the Sentinels of Atlantis read so easy and it must have been such a delight and easygoing write for me. And she did not mean to be insulting. She's, she said it must have been effortless to write was what she said. That That's what it was, effortless. And I was like... <laughs> I mean, I don't I don't honestly think she meant to be insulting. Well, I mean, 
I don't think she meant to be insulting, but I, it does read fairly smoothly. I must say, yeah. to toot my own horn, it is a pretty effortless read. It reads honestly, fast. The pace is good, but the more, but honestly, I think it's it's there's a lack of awareness there because I think when I read something that reads effortless, I know it was anything but. And it is a mark of how gifted somebody is at their craft that something can feel like it just flowed across the page for the for the writer. Um, so the more seamless and effortless something seems, the more I work I assume went into it. And I think that's a better assumption than that it was an easy write. But, and we talked about this before, and and. I'm going to get another email about this. I just know. But I, it is difficult. I would actually, if someone came to me and told me that they had pantsed something on the scope of Sentinels of Atlantis and completed it, and, there, and it was as tight as Sentinels of Atlantis is, I would be stunned. Um, and really, really fucking impressed. I mean, I would just be, like, completely impressed with you. <laughs> If you came to me and said that. Because that kind of art takes a lot of work. And it's a, it, there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of characters and a lot of um, characters' journeys that uh, cr cross paths and come together and move apart and come back. And that took an immense amount of effort on my part to get together. So to see somebody else pants it, I would be both disbelieving and impressed at the same time. I'll be like, what, you really? 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 Did you even write a timeline? No. No timeline. No timeline? Were there character profiles? Did you have a beta? Is this your rough draft? This is your fourth draft, right? You didn't, po you didn't post any of it until you finished the whole thing? Oh, no, no, no. I, I flew by my pants and posted it as I wrote. I didn't even edit. <laughs> Huh? <laughs> I was just saying how disbelieving I would be if someone told me they wrote something um, that they pant something like Sentinels of Atlantis. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and the thing is, that's one of the things is that I think the more experience you have writing, the more obvious certain lies are. <laughs> and people do lie well yeah perplexing as fuck i mean i don't understand that plotter who lies and says they're a panzer but i've encountered more than one but i think because they think i have this idea maybe it's because they had this idea that being a panzer is romantic that it's like this this creative beast that they carry around on their back i don't know <laughs> and then i'm supposed to be impressed by it yeah. Or conversely, someone who's obviously a seasoned writer telling you they're a novice. And you're like, I don't think so. Like, I get it. You want to create a new persona for yourself in fandom. I get it. But don't go telling us you started writing six months ago when it is clear you've been writing most of your life. Don't know what you're getting out of. Julie started over in fandom. Did she pretend that she didn't spend a decade fandom doing something else? No, she did not. And who she was previously is none of our damn business. Right. Well, and the thing is, in my very first, uh, um, when I was writing emergency, people were commenting, 
They're going, oh, I can't believe you're a new writer. This is amazing. I'm like, whoa, 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 back, roll back. I said, this is my first story under this pen name. I, I actually backed several people up because anytime anybody made the assumption that I was a newbie writer, I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the case. Um, I just, and then, and then unfortunately that led to the discussion of, well, can I have the, your prior pen name? No, you cannot. <laughs> you may not have it. I didn't abandon that and, and walk away for re for, for no reason. So, um, but I just, I find it very disingenuous to, to uh to misrepresent yourself in that way i just don't understand the point of it I mean, and maybe, beyond maybe it's because you want like the, the person doing something like that would say like, oh you know want to be praised to be so, such a natural talent my talent's natural i've just been honing it for 33 years and fuck you <laughs> yeah the writers are born I mean, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. There's going to be some asshole in my email telling me that I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, fuck you in advance. Since I won't actually be responding to your fake email address anyway. Um, but writers are born. And if they're nurtured and treated with care and given encouragement when they're young and not... Uh, it, it, it makes a difference. And that's how you grow a writer. You encourage, you ask questions, you back off, you don't violate their headspace, you don't violate their writing space. You never take their writing away from them as a punishment. No. My mother honestly never even took my books away from me as a punishment. No, me neither. I mean, I, I could get in trouble, but it wasn't it wasn't with my reading. So. Um. And honestly, if you dig deep on any writer who tries to progress and grow their skills, in that little niche would be a newbie, potentially. But there comes a point where you don't need to qualify your newbiness anymore. Uh, because by some I'm a new published writer, but only by some measure, because I've been published before for technical docs, right? So it's not like it's completely foreign. It's very, actually, it's very different in its way. But it still would be disingenuous to... Um, but I mean, yes, you could keep digging down. Well, I'm a new sci-fi writer or I'm, I'm new to the genre, but at some point you just got to own that you have experience writing. And I don't know why anybody would shy away from that experience, because honestly, the more experience you have to give to a writing group, the more valuable you are as a, um, as a participant. Mm -hmm. I embrace new writers, but sometimes I really want a conversation. Don't take this the wrong way with an adult. <laughs> sometimes i don't want to have to explain what gmc is i want to say okay this this is my this is my these are my issues and this is my gmc for this character and this is my gmc for this character and this is what i'm working on with this and this is my current plot arc and this is the and this is my point of contention because i'm not sure if this is my climax or not or you know or if i'm actually already into falling action and my climax should be somewhere else and you can't do that with a new writer. They're going to look at you like you grew a like a second head. Mm -hmm. And probably run crying from you. Because sometimes you just need an adult. An, 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 an adult or two. In that context. But there are a couple reasons why. I do think there's a couple reasons why people will understate the amount of experience they have writing. And one of them is because they want an ego thing where they want you to experience their talent so that one aside which is just like we're all kind of you know 
jerking off our brains, going whatever, asshole. Um, but the other thing is that I do know that sometimes supposedly experienced writers will bludgeon you with your lack of experience in that genre or with this particular trope or whatever it is. Um, and it's to make themselves feel superior. So if that happens to you, or if somebody's kind of bludgeoning you with your newness to this genre or with this writing style or to writing this point of view or to writing in this tense or whatever, if someone's ever doing that to you, don't take on, and feel like you need to then get super granular with your qualifications when you introduce yourself. Because that's about their ego problems. And you checking your own ego is exactly what they're trying to accomplish. So just don't. Don't give in to it. There's an old lady. I shouldn't call her an old lady because she's only about 10 years older than me. But she, honestly, she acts like she's 25 years older than me. Anyway, she's in the a spiteful old lady. She's a spiteful old lady. And um, she's not even a fun kind of spiteful, which is sad. Uh, I can actually use a spiteful old lady friend. Anyway. I'll be your, I'll be your spiteful old lady friend. <laughs> we we oh. aren't that far apart in age. That's true. Azure keeps liking to point out that she's older than us, but it actually isn't by all that much. But she keeps saying it. We're going we're gonna to let her be the spiteful old lady. I mean, yeah, that's, that's actually a, a viable position for her. But then we have to get a new church lady. And what if the new church lady isn't nearly as fun that's true anyways so it's just this 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 mean old lady that's on the periphery of my of my writing group she she's up she belongs to a different writing group um but but sometimes we merge and sometimes their members come you know to ours and we come to theirs you know it's just a little you know mostly ceasefire arrangement because a lot of her group are um Cozy mystery writers, but she has recently decided that she would like to write romance, like the last year or so. Um, and I had heard through a friend that she was writing basically um, a 1980s bodice ripper. And I was like, <sighs> and she asked me to read it. I said no, and she was really surprised because I had read her cozy mysteries before. Um, and um, she's actually, you know, she's 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 an entertaining writer. Um, her her narrative is a little simple, and her dialogue is overly complex. But um, she's she she, she could tell a good little story. Uh, I'm not being condescending. She could tell a good little story. They're they're really cute. They're little like um, you know those kind of like those little stories you get in Reader's Digest. That that kind of thing. Anyways, I think she's actually even published in Reader's Digest. At one time or another. Anyways. She said well why won't you read it? I said because you took a plot out of the 80's bodice ripper thing right? You, she says yeah well there's a pirate. I said and a woman in distress. And, and she said yeah. I said look I'm not going to read your. 1980's right fan fiction. Yeah. I'm not going to read your thinly disguised. And sometimes not even thinly disguised rape fic. I'm just not interested. And she said well there's no rape in it. I said okay. So she's a hostage. Well yes. And he's a pirate. Yes. And he has to bed her to protect her from the other men on his ship. He has to claim her as his own. She said, yeah, but how do you know that? You haven't read it. And I was like, because everybody and their mother used that plot in the 1980s. Maybe I said, on. and you know what? If she's a hostage, she has no ability whatsoever to give consent. So you've written rape. She's stuck on a ship with a bunch of men and she's the only woman and she's told in order to 
su survive, she has to let the captain have sex with her. Otherwise, the crew is going to take her and gang rape her. How in the hell is that a choice? And the entire table has gone silent around us. And she says, well, I, I never really thought about it like that. I, I think you should stick with Cozy Mystery, sweetheart. You and most writers in the 80s apparently didn't think about it. That's why some reason, some tropes need to die. But I will tell you, if you're working with online writers groups, that whole thing I talked about, about people bludgeoning you with your inexperience, a lot of genre fiction writers look down on romance writers. Oh, like a, like a motherfucker. And so you talk to the sci-fi writer, you tell them you write mystery, they're going to patronize you. And if you're writing a sci-fi romance or whatever, they're going to patronize you because of your newbiness in sci-fi because you're just a romance writer. Don't let them do that to you. The one and only time I got patronized by somebody over writing romance, um, I let him have his little thing. I said, yeah, it's actually really difficult um, and really a, just a really terrible circumstance to be published in the biggest fiction market on the planet. And he said, what? I said, you do know that romance novels take up 80% of the fiction market, right? 80% of all novels sold on this planet, it's at the time, are romance. I'm not sure what the number is now, but it, but it was like 80% at the time. It's huge. It's competitive. And I'm sorry, what are you doing again? I said, so you just continue writing your little sci-fi novel. Maybe someone will publish it and it'll get backlisted or maybe I said, maybe you'll even get mid-list. I said, but when's the last time you saw a science fiction novel on the New York bestsellers list? He hadn't talked to me since. It's been like 15 years. I don't miss him. <laughs> I think the last time I saw a sci-fi novel on the bestseller list, it was because the movie that got made on it came out. Like the movie, that the, the book had been out for years, and then suddenly it hit the bestsellers list because there was a movie about it. And that might have been October Sky. It was around that time. But, you know, the the best the, the bestseller list is kind of populated, overpopulated with women's fiction, um, romance, mystery, and suspense. This was hell and gone before the Martian Hearse. This is this was quite a long time ago. <laughs> Although I'm not sure what the Martian hit on the bestseller list when um that movie came out. Um, it was actually it actually did very well before the movie ever came out. I I saw I read the book and listened to the audio before the movie was ever made, and I'm not a sci-fi reader as a rule. My husband is, but he much prefers Ben Bova and Isaac Asimov. Why is that name so hard for me to say? Isaac Asimov. Yeah. All the vowels, maybe. It's a lot of vowels. Yeah, it is. Um, well, you're entitled to your wrong opinion. Who's having a wrong opinion? <laughs> I'm just messing with her. She says she's not a fan of Asimov. She thinks he's boring. I mean, honestly, I think Asimov is kind of verbose, but he's not boring. I mean, you know, it's just like uh, Tolkien's boring. Um. I really enjoyed Heinlein when I was young. I grew up on Heinlein, but I outgrew that. So, Okay, and today, today's statistics. Romance novels are big business. According to the Romance Writers of America, the romance fiction industry is worth a um, million dollars a year-ish, which makes it about a larger than the inspirational book industry. 
at about the size of the mystery novel genre, the science fiction fantasy genre markets combined. So what's the percentage on that? Well, if it's bigger, well, if you look at, I would have to say that my guess is it's probably, if you take out stuff that's, if you look at fiction only, they don't have a real good cut down on that. Mm -hmm. But my guess would be fiction only based upon that. It's probably about 40 to 50%. That's a a fairly big change then. It is. But but the whole market has kind of shifted and changed. yeah, but, but and there are so many more genres now, and they separate out a lot of gay fiction, and uh, even if it's got romance elements out of romance now. Um, but anyway, it's still that's huge, right? That romance is the single biggest genre, right? Yeah. So, uh, but other other genre of writers will try to be negative towards you if you write romance and so i will see people overqualify what they're doing because they write romance and that's just don't let them do that to you you're just you're just giving them what they they're just they're doing that to make themselves feel better and so you're just buying into <laughs> making them feel better at your expense this this this, this whole page is just killing me <sighs> You think you're writing a romance novel, but you're not sure. You're not sure. Here are the hallmarks of the romance genre. I can't even read that. My eyes are rolled out of my head. If you don't know you're writing a romance, you're probably not. Okay, for complete fic for complete fiction of all fiction markets in two 2013, romance represented 20% of it. But it seems like it's going back up now. I did not. I wonder if they separated romance and erotica. Um, they might have, because that was the big heyday of um. Two thousand nine to say two thousand fourteen was the big heyday of erotica romance. But there's also a lot of blurring in the genres because, um, you might wind up like having a some sort of romantic subgenre if you have two characters in a relationship who are having sex. You know, but it doesn't actually mean you wrote a romance. It has gone down. It used to be much, much higher. But the whole market kind of shifted and changed in response to the recession. <clears throat> yeah, and YA exploded as well. I think a lot of romance readers got really fed up with the um, the formula for romance. Yeah. It stopped feeling... And shifted into suspense and shifted into YA. Well, and I think I think I think there probably was an even bigger dip in the romance market, and then MM started bringing it back up mm-hmm. hugely. But a lot of YA have romance components too. So not all mm-hmm. of it, obviously, but a lot of it does. But there's nothing more. There's something worse actually in a writing group than than um um than a writer who looks down on romance and makes you feel like a terrible, small, perverted person for, for reading it or writing it. Oh, it's just a romance novel. Yeah, fuck you. <laughs> it's like a chip off a cliff, dude. Whatever. Um, With a scale like that, I think they probably put paranormal romance in the regular romance. The question becomes is when did when publishers separate paranormal romance out from urban fantasy? And sometimes you see them doing it in a way that actually doesn't make sense. 
that okay that book is actually totally a romance if you take out the yeah. romantic elements that would not qualify as an urban romance an urban fantasy but they're selling it as an urban fantasy and not as a romance and and they're probably trying to for some reason avoid the romance genre um for whatever reason uh it, it may, maybe partially that they're so that the romance market is so saturated that they want it to stand out and grab the people who maybe buy urban fantasy or whatever but a lot you know i agree i've i picked up an urban fantasy the last actually the last time i read urban fantasy i was like this is an urban fantasy i like paranormal romance but it wasn't what i was expecting but yeah if it's actually paranormal romance it would still be under the romance bucket just like historical romance or any other subgenre would be in the in the in the romance overall romance genre then there was this whole thing on Amazon where Amazon insisted that all um, erotic romance be moved into erotica and could no longer be in the romance category. Which is because erotic romance and ro erotica are not the same thing. No, and it's just it's just honestly it's just bullshit because and the problem is it didn't just hit erotic romance. It's like if you had erotic sci-fi because erotic is the tone of the genre. Erotic sci-fi, erotic spy novel. It just means it's going to be graphic sex, right? But so, it doesn't mean it's erotica. It doesn't mean it's erotica. So to lump everything that has graphic content under the erotica umbrella and then start excluding it from search results, that was just bullshit. And it was the death knell in many a publisher. Laura's Cave, or they had other problems. Um, Lucid. Um, Sam Hain couple other ones that I don't remember. Because Amazon was their biggest distribution. I mean, there was a time with in Laura's Cave authors, you could not find titles written by published by Laura's Cave on Amazon unless you knew the author's name, went and clicked on the author and looked at their author page. Because they were they were excluding all Laura's Cave titles from um, searching. Very. And it kind of, I think for a while, it was driving publishers to not be honest about their genres. Because you wouldn't want to wind up in a, um, yeah, why if they're doing that, would you tag erotic sci-fi as erotic? You would, you would just tag it as sci-fi, right? They're not as militant about it as they used to be, but yeah, they're still doing it. But they're not, they're also not level-handed with it, though. No. The thing with Laura's Cave was it, it looked really personal. Well, and for a while there, they weren't doing it to a lot of the Kindle Direct. I mean, the Kindle, um, Kindle, the, what is it? What is it called when you publish directly on Kindle? Kindle Unlimited. Well, the one where you're exclusive to Amazon. Is that, is that Kindle Unlimited? Yeah. You don't, ha you don't have to. I thought if you published on Amazon, you didn't have to go into Kindle Unlimited. You don't. You know, the people who are exclusive, who, do, who this, the people who self-pub on Amazon, some of them, even though weren't getting hit in these, you know, search exclusions. And people had posted some stuff on um, Twitter way back when, showing that they would do searches and they'd be getting stuff and that was in that was in, um, Kindle. But then you'd have stuff from like Indian small publishers that were being excluded, and they would uh, they appeared to have the same kind of genres selected for those books so you know yeah i, I think do you think amazon has a well kindle direct is the platform that you 
use to publish ebooks and independent publishers use it just like independent authors do but their kindle unlimited is a program where people pay it's like netflix for books and you get paid based on how many pages get read and, and, and it's a racket yeah but the people who go into kindle unlimited, the issue is that you have to be exclusive to amazon so. right you can't even be on your own publisher's website so what the actual fuck Anyways, <clears throat> so do we have, I, we, we actually went off topic like an hour ago, but do we have anything more on the subject of, does anybody have any like specific questions to this topic that might be helpful or about knowing what kind of book you're writing and but I think honestly, when it comes to project planning, um, if you're a pantser, I'm not even sure what advice, advice to give you if you, if you want to write an episode series, I don't even know what to tell you. Well, we've talked about that you need to have, even if you're a pantser, you don't have, you can have a plan even if you don't have a plot. And Nick, you need a timeline. Yeah, you need a timeline. You need to know what your overall goal is for it. You know, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, what, what it would be your climax of your quote unquote season. You, you need to be able to, if you can't articulate that, I, honestly, I would think you need to be able to articulate that in general to be successful at writing a novel too. So, um, I know some people are adamantly against that, and I just don't know how to help. This this isn't a judgment. We just don't literally. We don't know how to help you. We don't have. I mean, I don't have any advice to offer. I have already half written my nano for next year in my head. <laughs> yeah. One time after we talked about pantsing and stuff and not knowing how to advise somebody, I did get an email from somebody who had their tips and stuff for for how to approach some of these issues with pantsing, right? I didn't even do anything more than glance over it. Well, I replied to thanks. Um, but, you know, and they'll probably hear this, you know, but that's just the way it goes. But the reason why I didn't do anything with that or share any of those tips is because I looked at this person up on Amazon and they just have a bunch of works in progress. Amazon? So, not Amazon. AO3. Oh my God, for fuck's sake, don't put your works in progress on Amazon. No, AO3. <laughs> and they just, they have a ton of works in progress. So it's like, why? I don't feel like I'm necessarily, I don't feel like that these are necessarily time-tested tips. Because <laughs> the goal is not to tell people how to write more works in progress. They already know how. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> but you know, I've also talked to a whole bunch of pantsers who don't really have other did because I think the pantsing process is so individual. Yeah. That that sometimes they have a hard time finding things in common. Um it really all all everybody's process is individual, but Julie and I we we share some aspects. Like she writes more of an outline, I write more of a zero draft. She's more of an event plotter, I am more of a what would you say? Emotional, I mean, an emotional narrative, maybe. Plotter. Yeah, you do well. You you include emo the emotional narrative in your thing, which is interesting because we've talked about that when you look at our actual the implementation of our writing. We talked about on one podcast that I'm more of a character driven writer and she's more of a plot driven writer, but our plotting style would imply the reverse. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hmm. 
Okay, the question is, the season has a beginning, middle, and an end, but when do you decide on where the climax of the season is? How do you define the number of episodes in the falling action of the season series? Um, well, it partially depends how long it is. Uh, it usually isn't the last episode, although it might be. But when it comes to a book, there's a lot of reasons why the phrase, the penultimate chapter, became a phrase. And the penultimate chapter is a second to the last. And the reason why it was usually a noteworthy chapter is because it's usually where the climax occurred. It doesn't have to, but that's where it usually occurred, which is why it was noteworthy. Um, and actually, the funny thing about that is people would... They didn't even understand what it meant. And so they just assumed it meant the climax chapter. Anonymous with it, right? Um, so in that model, if you're looking at the novel model and you're kind of extrapolating that close to the end is where you would put the climax of your season. So in the latter third, let's say you had 20 episodes. It would be in the latter third, maybe in My, the last three. You've read Sentinels of Atlantis. Who wrote this question? Who wrote this question? Ellie, you've read Sentinels of Atlantis. Right? I mean, if, 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 it's, if it's no, it's fine. I, I won't get hurt. My fifties won't get broken. Are you sure? Yeah. 20 minutes. Okay. Tw 20 times. Okay, great. Thanks. I appreciate you. So no fifties are broken. Oh, only 20? What's wrong with you? Um, what would you consider to be the climax of the Sentinels of Atlantis? If you get it wrong, I will not get mad. <laughs> go, go look at it. For reference, for those of you on the podcast, Sentinels of Atlantis has 20 episodes. No. I will tell you what I think it is. It doesn't have 20 episodes? No, it, yeah, it has 20 episodes, but she's saying the, the answer is 20, that it's episode 20 that's the climax. The episode 20 is um, entirely falling action. Yeah, that's my guess, too. I think it's 17. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It's the queen. Episode 17, the queen. That's the moment when it should be obvious to the reader that the psionic plane is shifting so much that Miko Kusanagi coming online on Atlantis woke David Shepard up on Earth in more than one way. And that's the moment when everything changes and everything after that is falling action, but most specifically, the search is entirely falling action for the, um, for the um, season. In fact, the climax of the season is in the last two scenes of The Queen when um, Miko reaches out and David Shepard responds. Even though he doesn't even know what it is that he's responding to. So in a 20 episode season it falls in the last quarter for sure. Um, but the where exactly in, in in an arc that big, I would I personally would not put it as the last one personally. Um, no, with an arc this big, you need room. I actually, um, the search was originally Sentinels of Atlantis originally was twenty five episodes, but you know I lost those episodes. I, I lost a lot of those episodes, and I had to replot because I was really hurt and heartbroken. So the search in my original that I vaguely remember plot. Um, was episodes 20 through 25. But when I went to replot to kind of put the work back together, um, 
it became more like I looked at my notes the other day because I when I, we were in that podcast talking when we, we were in the writer's table talking about chaptering and I was like why the hell didn't I chapter the search and so I went back into my um, series bible for this for Sentinels of Atlantis and I actually labeled the search my two uh, my, my two hour se um, season finale and that's why it isn't chaptered because <laughs> I structured it like a two hour <laughs> TV episode well I will say sometimes when an author intends now I did get the queen as being to me it was the climactic moment but sometimes what an author intends and what the reader gets are not necessarily the same thing and there are there's there's a particularly a very big moment in the search um which is the climax of the search right the climax of the search that to to you as a reader may feel like the biggest moment in the story and honestly that's okay <laughs> Because yeah, um, it may not be directly what the author intended, but what you get out of a work depends upon what you like, what your preferences are, what themes you gravitate to. So it also it depends on how you read it. If you sit down and read Sentinels of Atlantis back to back, like on a binge, the impact of the Queen will be much more prominent than it would be if you read episode a couple episodes a week because the queen ripples throughout the rest of the work. But if you read them, if you, if you read it really far apart, it might not resonate in your brain that it's the climax of the season. So, and that's perfectly okay. As long as the, that you bring with you the concepts that, that the queen gave you. And that's that's all I want as a writer. You don't need to see my technical aspects. You don't see. You don't need to see under my skirt, as long as you um, admire my dress. <laughs> right. Because ultimately, ultimately, it's the author's. Just, you know, when the author says the climax is this, that's the way it is. And if an author says this is necessary for my story, that's the way it is. But the reader experience can still differ, and that's fine. So sometimes that comes down to what you as a reader, the themes that you're drawn to. And if the theme that the author is centering their climax around maybe doesn't particularly appeal to you, it could actually fall emotionally flat and you'll find something else in the story to be a bigger moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. So, and it could even sometimes be mood. Like sometimes I read a story and I really see a big moment and the next time I read the story and I go, oh, I like this thing over here though. It's really sad it's happening in the first third though. <laughs> <laughs> someone kind of bitched at me once because i was talking about the on um, the climax of the birth of the serpent king um which was literally just about harry's birth of the serpent king hence the title and people were bitch and so, harry potter fans are obsessed with novel length works or a work in encompassing an entire school year y'all need to get over it i'm so serious anyways um, people were pissed that it didn't go the whole school year. It wasn't supposed to. It was never about that. And the climax of the birth of the Serpent King actually happens quite near the end when Harry is visiting Draco in Slytherin. His education is very important. It went on after I ended the story. Um, and he decides to leave through the public entrance. And the snake, there's a metal snake on the door. And for the first time, really, Harry embraces his parcel magic and his role as the Serpent King when he 
takes the snake off the wall and talks to him in front of all these people. Um, and it's a very big moment. His his natural like he's he's relaxed and he's comfortable and he's come to terms with who and what he is and he's handling this this ornate enchanted snake and he passes it off to, to Draco and says he's going to be with you now and be the guardian on your door because it's not just about acceptance of his parcel magic it's about acceptance of Draco as well and telling the other Slytherins no matter how big of a fucking snake they think they are he's the biggest snake in that school and they better watch their fucking step and that's the climax of the birth of the Serpent King but for a lot of people, it is not. <laughs> I got a lot of opinions about that. <laughs> you, you see it how you see it, but the thing is, you don't have the right to invalidate what the author's author says their climax is by saying no, it's not. Well, the only time I ever would challenge an author, and it would only be if they asked me to challenge them, is when they tell me what the climax of their story is, and it occurs in the first half. I'm like, no, no, baby, you can't have a half your story be falling action. Or the last two thirds. You need to rethink this, and and that's. Do and, I need that, to get a priest? Are you being are you being haunted by J.R.R. Tolkien? Stop Let me it. know. Yeah. But that would only be if I was invited to give my opinion. But in general, now the thing is, one of the things to bear in mind about romance works is it's not uncommon for the climax of the story to be right at the end, like steep ass falling action, and then you know the classic denouement of they lived happily ever after after it's just that i did it. get several emails telling me that that's a, that's a very um very brief and less than um satisfactorily intimate sex scene at the end of the birth of the serpent king was actually the climax i'm like no that's just when they got off yeah but <laughs> but, th but where, where that's coming from is the people who have read a lot of romances who are used to a formula where the climax is the climax because that wasn't uncommon in the romance genre that the couple and the thing is the issue would be that the couple finally have sex right this was in, this was in that model like harlequin had where the couple didn't have sex until the end after a commitment had been made right so they finally have sex and they say well pardon me they say i love you and then have unprotected sex and then the story ends and the climax was actually i think personally technically the climax was the i love you's but um because you've been waiting on pins and needles for the fucking sex, it was often read like the sex. Did the I climax. die or did she die? I hear you. Can you guys hear me? I could hear you. Okay, okay. I'm gonna pop. I hear you now. Well, I hear okay. you breathing. Okay. Um. So, but in that kind of story, it wasn't uncommon for that to occur right at the end, and then there not be much falling action, right? Uh, it would just be like very abrupt so the last chapter would be where the climax would be positioned but in a lot of fiction it is more the second to the last chapter so if you consider that your average story be 50,000 words or 60,000 words 10 to 12 chapters you're looking at um, the climax occurring in chapter 9 or chapter 11 ish based upon that generic formula very generic so that was pretty typical, but the point is, is it needs to be in the last quarter, even if you're doing something episodic. And if you're doing, you know, and you wouldn't have a hundred episodes in a season. You might have, I mean, really, I would think if you're doing episodes, you don't want to go bigger than you would have in a TV show. So, which would be 20 to 25. Yeah. 
And if you're doing bigger than that, you're I feel like and you're writing a little bit short episodes. I, I don't I actually don't have any bad advice for you because that's bad craft. So just no. You need to do something different. Nothing is gonna have a hundred episodes. Um especially like a hundred thousand two thousand, one thousand or two thousand word episodes. Those are not episodes. I don't know what that is. It's an, it's another one of those series of fucking unconnected one shots or connected one shots. Just let's all move on. Um. Anyway, does anybody else have any more questions? Did we get all the questions that were asked? I think I only saw that one. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Eli. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that'd be a soap opera. I'll tell you, Dawn. That's true, Dawn. That would be a soap opera. It just goes on and on and on. And on and on and on. And in that case, if you case, if that case, if you thing. are, if you are writing a. Uh, something sort of soap opera-ish your climax is basically in every single episode and then your overall arc is sort of irrelevant because it's it's the story that never ends there's actually a fan fiction story on um fanfiction.net it's a harry potter story it's called uh the, the temporal beacon where um basically hermione hermione comes across some runic magic and she draws it on Harry and um, whenever one of them dies they go back to their third year and she draws the magic again on his skin and then they try again to and so this this fic is ongoing and ongoing ongoing and um, the, uh, the the author say explicitly in her, in her notes that it will never end an indication that they that they will always be stuck in this 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 loop which is kind of sad that whenever one of them dies the other dies too and they go back to third year I mean, I could, I could, um, I wouldn't, I would, conceptually, I find that very unsatisfying, so I wouldn't read it, but I could see how this is something that somebody's created as a device to allow them to just keep tacking on whenever they're in the mood to write in that verse without having to. It has a huge following. Yeah, but so. but when you do something like that, you don't because it is soap opera ish, right? In its way, you don't have to come up with a new world building or a new plot. You just you just plot a new episode and put it in, and you just and you and then you can completely walk away from it for two or three years, but then come back and do ten episodes in a single year. It's an it's an interesting device for doing something like that of having a a series that you can you know come back to at will, and it, there's no. All you do is refresh yourself on the world building, no harm, no foul. But um, I think I would just find a story that, that I think, like you said, the emotional, the emotional implication of it feels very depressing to me. Like that fan theory that because Harry Potter killed Voldemort, he'll live forever. Yeah, not very happy. Because they can only die at the hand of the other. Which isn't actually accurate since Voldemort killed himself. Yeah. And he tried to go Harry twice, and both times Harry came back. So I don't think the prophecy works the way they think it does. <laughs> well, it's only clear in hindsight, supposedly prophecies, and apparently that one's only going to be clear once they're both dead. <laughs> so, unless it means that they're both doomed to be reincarnated over and over again and take turns killing each other. Oh, that is terrible, but also fun. Wait, does that mean that Harry gets to be the Dark Lord next time? I think it means that. <laughs> well, first Voldemort has to come back and because Harry now is living, so Voldemort has to come back and kill Harry, and then Harry has to come back and kill Voldemort. I mean, it, it different, you know. Clearly, with no recollection so, of their past okay. lives. So Voldemort has died. 
So by the time Harry goes into his Dark Lord phase in his 60s, Voldemort will have been born, reborn, and he's in um, um, he's at Hogwarts. So they can start all over again. Yep. Lather, <laughs> lather rinse, repeat. <laughs> and and they're and they're at the end of time and sitting there, Lady Magic and her husband, Zir, are sitting there going, the point was for you two idiots to learn how to live peacefully together, not to just kill each other over and over again for thousands of years. But you know, you do you, boo. <laughs> Did you have a good time? Harry's like, yes. And Voldemort's fish, like, that's just because you won last. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember that lifetime when you were a complete asshole? Do you remember all the lifetimes that you were a complete asshole? <laughs> you killed my mom only that one time. For fuck's sake. <laughs> Are you never going to let this go? She would have been a great mom. <laughs> And then Mad Lady Magic's going, actually, get your parents over and over again, too. And they, they kind of pause and go, but I've killed my own parents. <laughs> it's like, well, you should have learned to live together peacefully. This was an object lesson. You both failed. Well, shit. <laughs> I do like to write a terribly jaded Harry Potter. <laughs> no. Queenie, go to the corner. She was just waiting to slip something in that would get her in trouble. <laughs> she was just waiting. I still want to ride an AU fic where Lily Pollard just drills a hole in um, Voldemort's um, head when he walks through the door of that nursery. I think you should. You were going to say dick, weren't you? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> there was a there's a hesitation, a little consonant sound. I'm like, she just goes straight to dick. So she had to she had to self correct. You know. She could she could drill him straight through the dick too, and then <laughs> through the head. But then you know she doesn't have James. But that would be interesting because I also have a one plotted where um, she finds out that um, that Dumbledore is going to convince the the um, the Wizigamote that she needs to be hidden in the magical um, in the in the Muggle world, and they're going to take the Potter um, estate from her. So she goes and tells Sirius Black that he's going to marry her. And Sirius has been living with his grandfather. And Arcturus is sitting there and trying to ignore it. And he's looking at his grandpa for help, right? And Arcturus is like not even looking in there. He's not going to fight this fight. You're on your own, kid. And so they get married. <laughs> and then a year later, they're still living, you know, they're, they haven't consummated their marriage because, you know, Sirius is like, you're my best friend's girl. And she's like, well, now I'm your wife. And it's been a year. <laughs> so she's going to have to take a ride on that, you know, to, you know, to break him past that. <laughs> but that, that plot idea in my head for a long time. I'm not mad at this. Just, you know. So by the time Harry gets to Hogwarts, he's Harry Potter Black. And his and his adopted father, Sirius, is um, um, already um, the Earl of Blackmore. So, Harry Potter Black. Would he have siblings? Would they have kids? I think so. I think I, I think Lily would want another. I think she would. Um, yeah, I think so. But maybe he has a couple, like a, a little sister and a little brother. I think it's good for family dynamics in that situation. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Octavius is retired. Spoiling the shit of all, out of all three of his grandchildren. Yeah, there are some fandoms I have a hard stop about putting together. Um, 
I don't know why. I, I generally like a crossover fusion thing, but sometimes I see some combos and I go, nope. I have a really hard time um, crossing. Like, I mean, I, I can see it in little shorts, but NCIS and Harry Potter, it makes me head tilt so much. And there's also a really popular crossover in the Hannibal family with Harry Potter. And I read the summary and went, nope. <laughs> I was just like, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my sweet Harry is not being raised by Hannibal the Cannibal. <laughs> and like you, said, like you said, in short, sometimes it can work for me. But in general, like I have a hard stop about Harry Potter and Teen Wolf. I just go, no, no. And I don't know if they make any attempt to reconcile the inconsistencies. Maybe they do, but I just—it's a lot of inconsistency between the the the, the magical and the paranormal theory between the two. Um, I'm gonna give you a video to watch, Twy, and you watch it, and then, and then come back to me. And if you can't get into the Hannibal fandom after watching this video, then then we will never bother you again. There's less nothing that'll do it because. Because if this won't do it, nothing will. That's right. I was already, I was already leaning into it when I saw that video, and I'm like, um, I, I tipped over. I went over the side of that cliff with them. I'm, I'm, I, I'm in it. So y'all can expect a full length Hannibal project to appear on my site sometime in the next year. <laughs> I don't know what it will be. I have to watch a whole bunch of Chef John episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I I plotted I plotted something, but I've got to make um I, I have a plot revision problem that I've got to work through. So I'll be happy anyway, to help. I'm I'm going to totally take you up on that. Um, so did anybody have any questions? I think Lady Holder just showed us her ass. Is it's not the first time she showed us her ass. I'm sure that Harry Potter Hannibal Fick is awesome. I just can't. I just. I can't. My sweet baby Harry can't be eating people food. <laughs> I'm gonna put all of you in the corner, all of you, except except Twy, because she's she's our favorite. <laughs> so there, now the rest of you bitches get in the corner. <laughs> he said lovingly. Dishonor on your cows. But Will digresses. <laughs> Should totally be a trope. It is a trope based on the implementation. Yeah. It should be a tag. It should be the most popular tag in the Hannibal fandom. But Will, but Will digresses. digresses. Hannibal's going to eat your face off. He'll eat my face. Off my skull. <laughs> All right. If you guys don't have any more on-topic questions, um, <laughs> well, we can go. We can stop and go back to the off-topic where we've been for the last two hours. But what will end the podcast here? Um, Ella, you're in the corner. Why are you still talking? <laughs> Anyways, I hope the podcast was helpful, helpful, and um, all that jazz. And you have a fantastic week. Say good night, Jilly. Good night, everyone.